Okay. If you've all got the scripture, let's, let's read this together. Judges 6, 11 to 24. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Oprah. That pertained unto Joash the Abazriite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now... The Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not, I pray thee, until I come unto thee, and bring forth my present, and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in, and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour and flesh he put in a basket. And he put the broth in a pot and brought it unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Orpha of the Abezriites. This is the word of the Lord. So I want us to look at today Yahweh Shalom and how God gives us true peace through his covenant. And I want to propose to us today that every believer should know the covenant nature of God because it's going to anchor you in your identity with Christ and then bring confidence to your walk with him as well. And I want us to learn what the true meaning of the word shalom means and its relationship with covenant. And I want us to see what exactly God's blessing is. And I want us to see that uh, what this covenant is and what it is not for us today as children of God. And then to finish, how we are to be ministers of shalom to the world. I want us to think for a moment, how many times in your life as a Christian have you said, God bless you to somebody? 
Have you, how many times do you reckon you said that? A lot? Yeah, a lot, right? Um, you're grabbing a coffee or grabbing a drink or whatever, and you say, God bless you, thank you. you know? Do we actually know what we're saying or declaring when we actually say that? Have we actually thought about what that really means to say, God bless you? So what are we centrally asking God to bless that person with? And Yahweh Shalom is going to help us answer that question. So during the period of the judges in the Old Testament, there were times of settled peace interrupted by years of terrible oppression. The people forgot what creates true peace, which is obedience to God. Deborah and Barak's leadership, um, they enjoyed 40 years of peace. The people then slid into evil and paganism seven years later and uh, defeat and humiliation at the hands of the Midianites. Israel then repented and cried out to the Lord for help. So God called Gideon to be a judge. And so we see that he named the title um, of the altar Yahweh um, Shalom. And we see that in the Old Testament, there's quite a few instances where people named altars or locations after um, their encounter with God, their specific encounter with God or what God said to them. We see Hagar in Genesis 16 named the well, the well of the one who lives and sees me. Jacob, he names the altar Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So we see Gideon built an altar straight after God has given him assurance in knowing that he wouldn't die when he saw the angel of the Lord face to face. And also that um, his recent commission to deliver Israel wouldn't result in his death. And we see Jesus do something similar because the first word Yahweh says is peace be unto you. And Jesus does the exact same thing. When he rebukes the storm, he says, peace, be still. And then asks the disciples, why are you fearful? So we see an interesting similarity of Jesus here in what Yahweh said to Gideon. So I want to focus on the covenant nature a bit and pull back a bit from Gideon because that's a separate amazing book to um, unpack. But the, uh, we're looking at obviously the word peace. And so I want to look at Genesis 3:21, which is really the first time we see God's heart for a covenant and for God to sort out the mess of this world, the sin, the mess of sin. And so we've had Adam and Eve, the temptation and fall. And then immediately after God gives them the consequences of their disobedience, we see something powerful here. And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. This is powerful. This is God's initiation for a plan of redemption, for the remission of sins before the law and even before he spoke of Abraham. And we see that a covenant um, is, there's two types of covenant, an unconditional covenant and a conditional. So the Edenic covenant in the Garden of Eden was conditional based off them being obedient to God or disobedient. But God gives an unconditional covenant in the Abrahamic one, which I'm going to look at in more depth. So a definition of an unconditional covenant is a sovereign act of God whereby he establishes an unconditional covenant or declarative compact with man, obligating himself in grace by the formula of I will do it. To bring to pass by himself definite blessings for the one that is covenanted with him. So God will bring it to pass, no one else 
will help him to do that, to bring it to pass. He said, and it's going to happen. So we see this initiation of the covenant, God's heart for covenant, sorry, way before the law and clothing them with skins. And I think that's an amazing act of God's mercy and love that there's no one else available at that time to, to help them, was there? It was God literally deciding to show love and mercy right after giving them their consequences for their disobedience. And so we see Hebrews chapter 8 and 10 as well. Um, we cite the new covenant prophecy of Jeremiah 31. And chapter 8 focuses on Christ being the, the great high priest of the new covenant. And the greater and more perfect tabernacle is his blood. And chapter 10 focuses on Christ's death once and for all. The unconditional declaration of God's covenant is realized in the living, incarnate and sacrificed and risen word of God. And so I want us to look at the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12. It's important for us to understand how it's separated into seven segments. One of them being, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And I'll curse those that curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what is this covenant for us today as new covenant believers? It's eternal redemption in Christ through the seed of Abraham. It's the seventh declaration that in Abraham, you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Acts chapter 3.25 Your sons are the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Galatians 3, 8, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations on the earth be blessed. So what is the Abrahamic blessing? It's actually for you to become saved. It's for you to be a child of God. That's what the blessing is. Romans 4, 24. Uh, now it is written for, it is not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him as righteousness, but also for us. It shall be imputed unto us who believes in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So what you are saying when you say God bless you to someone, you're actually petitioning and praying to God that they would receive the Abrahamic blessing that they would become a child of God, that they would receive imputed righteousness. And when I found that out, it's, it just stunned me because that's, that's powerful. When God bless you, you're declaring and almost praying in a sense to God that would you save that person? God, please, would you move on their life and bring them into the blessing? And so Galatians 3 for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. So I want us to look at the word shalom. It's got so many meanings. 
Uh, and it's going to help us understand Yahweh better and the nature of who he is. And I want us to focus on, on the word and how it's going to tie into the covenant of God, the God's heart for covenant. It means to be complete. It means to be safe, to be sound. Peace from war, welfare, health, and prosperity. So when you ask someone um, about their welfare and you're inquiring about their health, like how are you doing, that's a use case for shalom. So it could be shalom, you know, how, how are you doing? How, how's your health? How's your welfare? It's, not, it's like a greeting as well as just declaring peace over their life. But this also applies when asking about someone to do with their prosperity. But this is where God really opened my eyes. So for me to be consistent with interpreting the Bible um, and interpreting it logically, I must not fall to the victim of cognitive dissonance because one of the words is that we will prosper. Prosperity is part of shalom, the definitions. But it posed a problem for me because it was actually in favour of the, the wealth gospel, false gospel movement because they rightly... Um, believe that we're a part of the Abrahamic blessing, but slightly change it and say that that is the reason why we can access wealth. And so it occurred to me that I didn't simply look into the word prosperity in the Hebrew. And this is when the whole doctrine collapsed for me, and it is powerful. There is logic to, think, to their thinking in like false doctrines. There's a logic to it. It's not it's not completely horrendous in how badly they interpret the Bible. Um, so you have to just discern and, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you that understanding on where it's slightly gone off. So what they've done, they've looked into the Hebrew word for shalom, seen that the definition is prosperity. And then they've automatically decided to assume that prosperity is now going to be defined by the English language, not the Hebrew and the Hebrew has absolutely nothing, zero, to do with wealth. Prosperity in Hebrew actually means to be, to be at rest, to be quiet and to be at ease. And what are the amazing words that Jesus say? Probably one of my favorite verses in the Gospels. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Come to me, all who are labor, and a heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I want to kind of reform the, the negative connotation, I suppose, attached to the prosperity gospel and call it the wealth, the wealth gospel. Because prosperity, um, I'm, I'm for that, and now it really just means rest, rest for your souls. And I want to pray for the, the people out there that they would find true prosperity for their souls, which is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.13, being dead in our sins and in the un uncircumcision of our flesh, he has quickened together with him, having forgiven us all trespasses. Ephesians 2.4.5, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in our trespasses. It's by grace You've been saved. That is prosperity, that we are dead in our sins, cut away from God, and by his grace alone, 
in Christ alone. He has made us find rest. Isn't that powerful? We've, had, we've got rest. We can rest in God. We prosper us in the, the true definition of what it means. And so the root word for shalom, because the etymology of the word is how the word advances or changes over time. The root word tells us that where to find peace. Well, we, I'm telling you where, what peace is, but where do we find it? How is it realized? How is that substantiated, right? We know that God gives peace, but can it be somewhere more specific? Well, the root word says to be in a covenant of peace. So you can't have peace without the covenant of God. To be in a covenant of peace, one who is in a covenant of peace, to make peace with God. In Colossians 1, 19, 20 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. One of the other definitions is to be complete or to be finished. Well, what does Jesus say on Calvary? It is finished. Hebrews 10:14, for by one single offering he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. And the Greek for perfected just means to be completed. And so we see so many, the definitions of the root word really correlate to the gospel and to the covenant of God. It means to make, to make whole, to restore. And our spirit's been born again and restored to its new nature. Because 1 Peter 2 says, you've been born again, that is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, restored, and set apart for his purpose, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable and immortal. That is through the living and everlasting word of God. And so we really see that every definition of the, the root word for peace directly yeah, correlates to God's covenant. And we can only access that peace through God's covenant. So what this covenant isn't then? This isn't a second declaration like the wealth gospel will try and tell you that because Abraham was blessed personally by God, personally, so that means that we also can inherit that. It's an interpretational error of 2 Corinthians 8 verses 9. And like I said, our true riches are in Christ. Our true prosperity is being rest for our souls that we found rest. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich has everything to do with a spiritual aspect to that. That he became sin, who knew no sin. Christ became poor in a sense that he, was, he became a sinner. He bore our sin. This verse is entirely talking about the spiritual reality that's happened to us when we put our trust in Christ. So am I saying that God doesn't bless us? No, absolutely not. But God does give us what we need. I'm sure we can all testify of situations where God has provided um, when we really needed it and he supported us and gave someone to come and help us in that situation. So I'm not saying God doesn't bless us, but the second declaration of that covenant doesn't mean we can 
receive the abundant wealth of the world. And ultimately, Proverbs 13, 8 says, the ransom of a man's life is his riches. That's our riches that we've been ransomed in Christ. So the responsibility of the believer is to share that, that covenant peace, that peace can't come from anything else. We try and fill that peace with things of the world and it doesn't satisfy. You only get true lasting peace is through the covenant of God. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called sons of God. Notice Jesus doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. There's a big difference there because John 1.12 states that we're children of God for our belief in the gospel. So is this a contradiction? Not really, not at all. Because when you're a son of God through adoption, it, what this is saying, when Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God, is that the fullest expression of our sonship is actually bringing the gospel to other people so they can become children of God. They can become adopted as well. And James 3.18, the fruits of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers, because the Pharisees kept the peace. The Pharisees killed Jesus. They tried to stop a revolt and rebellion. Pontius Pilate kept the peace by ordering the execution of the Lord and to squash an, a political unrest that was caused by Christ's ministry to protect himself from Caesar. These people kept the peace. But God wants us to make peace. And how we make peace is give the gospel to people. And peace is then made unto that person when they hear about the one who brings true peace through his covenant, which is Yahweh Shalom. And so I just want to just pray um, for a moment and just if uh, anyone is maybe a bit fearful at the moment or not experiencing God's peace, that you'd just open your heart to Yahweh Shalom and that he would bless you today. So Yahweh, I just thank you so much, God, for the covenant that, that you have preached the gospel beforehand and we thank you that we have received today, if we're children of God, the Abrahamic blessing, the blessing to be called your children. So God, I just pray you just pour out your peace, Lord, upon us today. If anyone is struggling, anyone is um, just not in that, that place of stillness, Lord, and quietness, that they'd be reminded of their true prosperity, which is that their soul is found rest and their soul is in the everlasting arms of you, God. So I just really pray that you just bless people, these amazing people here, God, with your peace that is only made accessible through your covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.